0: This episode off a little bit differently, and uh, although what I'm about to say has literally nothing to do with photography, it's my podcast. I mm-hmm. guess I can kind of, I can kind of do this. That's kind of the fun part of being your own boss. Um, in my lifetime, there's only been two celebrity, I guess, celebrity deaths that have genuinely affected me, genuinely bothered me. Yeah. The first being Chris Chris Cornell a few years back, mm-hmm. and this week we lost my absolute favorite comedian, uh, someone yeah. whose jokes I have stolen. Uh, to such a ridiculous extent that I actually have a file in my notes in my phone of adapted versions of his jokes I can use at weddings um, as kind of a way of entertaining people while I'm trying to get the job done. Norm Macdonald passed away and uh, after I think it was yeah. a nine year battle, uh, a secret battle with cancer. Um, and I just want to say that that was genuinely one of the saddest things that's happened. Uh, that's happened in oh a long time gosh. with everything else yeah. that's going on to say that that was really that sad is kind of incredible but he's a tremendous loss and uh, i'm going to miss him greatly
1: yeah oh my gosh same here um and it's it's interesting because um i think like my I was talking about my like my brother my dad my grandfather so you have three generations you know my grandpa grew up listening to radio in the 40s <laughs> like jack benny and everything then my dad you know 90s 80s 90s snl so but all three of us absolutely just we're watching uh the compilation of his yeah his uh weekly uh, was a weekend update uh just when you would talk about the oj trial absolutely just his delivery
0: Well, that was one of the things. He committed to something, and no matter how awkward it got, he stuck with it, and that's what made him so fantastic. Um, I'd also recommend for anyone that's interested in checking him out and uh, seeing the genius that he was, there's a YouTube channel called I'm Not Norm, which has fantastic compilations of all of his stuff. So anyway, I need to to steer this quickly back towards photography or I'm going to go completely off on one. Okay, so... Now that we've uh, discussed the non-photographic stuff, let's start with the photographic stuff. Uh, I've been on a wonderful sort of pilgrimage through the world of YouTube over the last maybe six to eight weeks. And I found some fantastic, um, fantastic. I hate the word content creators because it sounds biblical, but some fantastic people that create photographic videos and so on. It's I have a love-hate relationship with the photographic side of YouTube. I tend to go through stages of not wanting to watch any of it because YouTube keeps pushing out the same people. And then you start to find these hidden gems one after the other. And at the moment, I'm riding the crest of that wave. And uh, one of those amazing channels that I have recently found is Expired Bren. And um, before we start talking about uh, expired film and film photography and photographing in sort of the the West Coast, Midwest, whatever of America, let's just start off with... uh, how you first found photography? So, what made you want to start photography in the first place?
1: It's a good question. I think it started off just growing up in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and I really, really liked you know the just the surrounding landscape and nature. And just starting off with a simple iPhone, you know, like this was just like yeah, high school. Uh, I, I felt the need to maybe try and update up my game more, just from simple iPhone photos and. I got a digital, I got a Canon T6 Rebel. So that's an entry-level digital camera. And from there, I actually made the jump straight into film. So really, not much of a digital background going into uh, my photography.
0: Uh, well, let's, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. So you jumped straight straight into film. Why? Why, why the immediate jump into film?
1: Well, so I had my... my Canon Rebel and, you know, for what I would do and I was really happy with the photos I was taking and then I actually uh, was getting my master's in Berlin and a couple of my friends, you know, I was with them and they had, they both had uh, a Vito, like those uh, those little range finders and it just absolutely just like, you know, just drew me in this whole process they had there of shooting these images on film and pretty much I got the same little Foitlander rangefinder as them. And from there, it was pretty much off to the races. Uh, but just pure uh, fascination, I guess, with the medium is what got me start seeing someone using it in person.
0: Well, it's interesting. One thing that really stands out with yourself is uh, you have a similar issue to what I have. And I'm currently trying to fix the issue. I think you might be going further down the rabbit hole, which is just the... The acquiring of many, 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 many cameras. Um, I'm currently oh, yeah. in the process of slimming down what I have. Um, I'm going to be getting rid of my Peel Apart Polaroid um, cameras pretty soon. And I've actually shifted a couple of other Polaroids and, and whatnot. It's very tempting, especially with the, the price that a lot of film cameras sit around and the interesting features that are around for you to pick up lots of different types of cameras. You have a collection that appears to be significantly bigger than one that I've I've really ever come across. So um, how big is your current camera collection and what are your current favorites?
1: Oh man. Uh, my question uh, is, think, I think my collection, oh gosh, I'd say 30 odd cameras, give or take. A lot of them I have sold recently as well because it is a lot and you feel, I feel bad if I don't use them you know, and... Right now, my favorites would probably be, uh, my favorite be still the Mamiya RB67. Uh, You know, for a lot of people, they seem to get that camera as their entry into the six by seven format and then they move up, not move up, but you know, move on to like a Pentax 67. But I've been really, the past two and a half years, I've owned it, been really happy with that camera. So that's my all-time favorite. and then also I have a real Life Flex uh, 3.5A. So it's like an early 50s model. Um, and it's significantly cheaper than you know the uh, 2.8 models. I think what would be the kind tests are and uh, what would be the other model. Anyhow, those are two are my favorites for a long time. So even with all the cameras I've been getting, I've still kind of had my two all-time favorites at the top of the list, uh, if that makes sense.
0: So for people that don't, understand um or perhaps are yeah. used to working with one camera or perhaps just hate the idea of having different things to learn on that scale yeah what do you get different from from each of those cameras so let's, so let's say you start off with your mamiya what isn't your mamiya doing for you that means that you need another 120 camera
1: good question uh i and i think you'd hear this a few, uh, quite a bit is the porta, uh, just how portable it is uh, it's a hefty camera Um, I don't think there's many six by seven cameras under like $2,000 that would be um, outside of that heavy category or hefty category. So, and a lot of people don't like six by six and I personally really love shooting six by six and there's, you know, an infinite amount of six by six medium format cameras that are going to be either, you know, under, under two kilos or that you can even fit in your pocket. So I think the big factor is just size, you know, if you're traveling, if you're hiking
0: convenience. Yeah. Well, I, I really, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, something that's from an outside perspective and I'm very, very new to film I'm very inexperienced and very clueless when it comes to film. But from an outside perspective, something that stands out is that the two main factors that go into like, if you could, if you, you have to grab a camera, and you don't have enough money to buy 30. Yeah. One would be, obviously, that the lens matches the genre and style of photography that you're into, which I think is, for example, the Pentax 67 with the Takuma 105 2.4. I think a lot of people buy that camera specifically for that lens. Um, And it's obviously a very good portrait lens. It's fantastic for natural light work and so on. It has such a distinct look for it. I'm trying to find a way to get that lens and adapt it onto my digital. Uh, cameras so that i can use it for that and the other side of it is this like you've already alluded to six by seven six four five six by six i'm someone that really 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 struggles with six by six i find square aspect ratio very hard to compose images of people absolutely Um, i think if you're photographing things that are very very hard lined and sort of geometric it's a lot easier maybe just for me um but i think that's a big deciding factor so th- with the cameras that you're using and i guess including 35mm in this as well is it the case that like the camera you'll you'll be a different photographer based on the camera that you're holding
1: i think so yeah absolutely it's a good question uh, because yeah i haven't thought about that much yeah if you're shooting with different cameras almost on a constant basis it, i think it does impact your your shooting style and even, even your compositions I find that with the six by seven format, my compositions are probably a little, I wouldn't say better, but I find my compositions to be uh, more, how would I put this? I guess more sound either either with lead, using you know, leading lines or anything of that sort, uh, if that makes sense. I, I think also it comes down to just like uh, a lot of these cameras, you know, they come with fixed focal lengths like a TLR would, whereas a Mamiya RB67, obviously you can switch lenses and you can switch backs. I think being a, I think in a modular system is really why I like that camera because I love being able to switch between black and white and color because, you know, you can be on a hike or whatever and really just switching between those two, black and white and color, your photography style can change quite a bit and you really look for different subjects. So I, in a way, I think that's why I like the RB 67 is just because you can switch more so between uh, film stocks in mid-roll. And that would be the one that would really affect my images the most.
0: Well, something that I definitely feel like um, I've probably harped on about too much, potentially on the podcast, but for sure, when I've run workshops or in conversations with photographers, especially if they're going through a particular like a creative slump or they're hitting a bit of a brick wall and, and they're starting to stagnate a little bit with their work. It's just the yeah. introduction of chaos. So once you've got your process down and your sound in the way that you work, you, you're, if you're someone that photographs people, you're very comfortable in the way that you engage with the subject and you know your lighting, but at that point you're just kind of reproducing the same work over and over again and you're hitting a bit of a funk with it. Introducing some chaos within that sort of structure tends to create uh, a new way of thinking, a new, a new end product that can drag you out of that, that sort of slump that you're going through. And there's lots of different ways to do that. I often, with digital photographers, I talk about lenses. Um, you know, take what, take what you know about lenses. Uh, a lot of the time in the digital world, especially places like YouTube, lenses are always spoken about in a very technical way in terms of distortion, compression, yeah. depth of field. I tend to talk to people more in the sense of like context in a, in a real world sense. So um, if you're having trouble with your images and all of your images are someone being dragged out of the background by an incredibly narrow depth of field and a long lens, put them somewhere where they have to interact with the context and shoot wider and it will, it will change your process. The chaos will make you have to think on your feet. I can't really think of a more chaotic way to do things than to introduce film that expired 30 years ago, where you literally that's couldn't <laughs> predict the end result if you wanted to. So, yeah, I mean, that's this is true chaos. <laughs> this is going to be an entire education for me here. So, to start off with, what's the attraction of photographing with expired film?
1: I think chaos does have a, a huge factor in it. Um, it does keep me on my feet. And not only that, but sometimes, sometimes, um, how do I describe this? How would, how, do, how does one put this? Um, I guess sometimes I, I enjoy more so the experience and the end result, just being able to go outside and hike around somewhere and take photos. Sometimes in the end, uh, if the photos turn out or not, it really doesn't make a difference, which that is, that's no way to justify using expired film, but it's one of those things where I'm just happy to be out there and shooting. Uh, for me, my, shooting expired bill nowadays I've kind of leaned from really um I have a lot lag around but I think the big thing nowadays is if you buy things and not bulk but say like a pro pack you know five pack uh and then and then you're able to shoot one roll and you can kind of see what to expect and once you know that if you know that okay this this film here is going to be really it's going to have a significant color shift if it's going to have have way more uh significant amount of grain uh then then really you can use that for special scenarios or situations where you don't necessarily need to rely on the accuracy of color but rather just the the composition of the image I, I, If that makes sense yeah it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to really uh just explain why i enjoy it so much i think also just comes down to the fact that you're shooting with a lot of film st- stocks that don't exist anymore, and and if you do come across uh, one that's in great condition, then you're going to be having you know some sort of you're going to have uh, results that are going to be almost impossible to replicate.
0: Well, on that note, something that really stands out to me with film is there seems to be a bit of a, a contradiction in terms lately with photographers that correct film to yeah. like to, to like a very very strong degree. I understand. The need to correct the scanning process to get it closer to you know what it should look like, I guess, in the sense of yeah. what the film stock it does. You know, if you shoot with Ektar and you start under saturating the reds, you're kind of undoing the point of having Ektar in the first place. For example, is there too much focus on like correcting or getting everything to look like quote unquote right, as opposed to letting the film stock that you're shooting with have its own character and and be Wrong in an interesting way.
1: It's a really good question. Uh, in my mind, I think the longest, I think the biggest process for me has been actually not so much. Well, I I have made a lot of improvement in the in terms of com- composing my images, choosing my subjects, and and actually being consistent with uh, getting the correct exposure or something whereabouts. Uh, in the end, though, I think when it comes down to scanning and editing, that's I think that's really the that should be emphasized even more I think I think uh, at least in lightroom for my images I personally don't do a whole lot but there are quite a few images that I would have figured are um, underwhelming and, and just some minor adjustments really made a huge difference not so much to color but mainly to um, mainly just to like just sort of, uh what was, what's the what's word I'm looking for, for black and white, especially. Um, like for a contrast the, uh, thing? Or... The contrast, the, uh, the color, like the curves. Right. Uh, yeah, for me, that's something I never really did because I didn't, I didn't think it would make much of a difference. But nowadays, for my black and white photography especially, I, I make sure to really slow down my process of editing and to try and get the contrast to a point where I personally like it. So I think for black and white, not everyone is on the same page for what they really enjoy in in the contrast of an image or the tonality of an image.
0: Well, we're currently living in an age where people... uh, Sorry to get very, very minorly political here. I try my best not to. Oh, it's all good. But we're living in an age where people using their slave mind, sweatshop made $1,000 phones, tweet or write a story about um, oppression. So we're kind of living in a very not very self-aware age. So I'm going to do something that's very not self-aware here, which is kind of making me look just as bad. But um, I've talked before on the podcast about the uh, attention that film photography is getting and the, the popularity of it increasing is actually damaging it in a way that sort of cameras are getting bought up. Film stocks are getting um, sort of eviscerated by the demand for certain things, depending on what's popular. You know, a YouTuber can, can bring out a video, about a new camera they've got. And instantly the price of those cameras can triple on eBay um, out of nowhere. And it's, it's sort of very counterintuitive. It kind of makes sense that you want to proliferate something that you enjoy. You want it to become more popular, but at the same time, if, if the, I guess if, if the, the basis of what you enjoy can't be replenished, it's very bad yeah. to continually draw attention to it in a, in a kind of ironic way. But, with regards to something like expired film, there's obviously, like, like you just said, some of these don't exist anymore. They're, they haven't been produced in decades. How do you even find expired film and why would people want to sell it?
1: That's a good question. Uh, for me, it is a very finite source, <laughs> even compared to a lot of cameras, I think, because especially if you're looking for 120 film, a lot of the time it's going to be Maybe a former professional photographer. He passed away. She passed away, and then their family um, either sends it to a goodwill, and someone picks it up, puts it online, or whatever it may be. But eventually, that's just not going to happen anymore. And eventually, the passage of time is just going to render most of these films completely unusable. Right now, it's, it's we're still in that period where it's the, like the end of film photography as the as the major. Photography—it's uh, still recent enough, but but then it comes down to just finding them. I think even in the time that I've been buying them up, really, uh, it's become way more in demand than before, it's harder to find good deals. I mean, I really hardly ever find good deals at this point on on film online. So I, that does come down into just the rise in popularity uh, in in the these uh, finite sources of films or cameras being. More so we say like just tapped than ever, yeah, um, does that answer your question? I kind of I kind of sometimes I drift off a little bit, no, so no, you back in
0: I mean one thing it does sort of make me think is that you could potentially kind of seed the situation by so for example, uh, obviously uh, Fuji four hundred h has got extinct, yeah. um yeah. I yeah. I'm a lot of people that didn't ever shoot with it were very upset um, and made sure to post about it a lot, so that what was left of it got sold out much quicker. So the people that did use it ended up getting ripped yeah. off, which was quite annoying. Yeah. I, I have a couple of boxes of uh, 120 400H. I'm probably going to add a couple of boxes before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So on the subject of kind of seeding the situation, can you or do you buy film and then? for want of a better term, just kind of let it rot and expire so that you have some expired film. Is that something that you would do or you do do, you know, to, to kind of keep the supply there?
1: Yeah. For the most part, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I do keep film around long enough for if it were fresh, like quote unquote fresh when I bought it, that it would be expired. Some of them just expire a lot quicker than others. So like sitting still and, uh, gosh, it just like, um, Anything motion picture film related, I think they have pretty. They tend to have short uh, periods of being uh, fresh, quote unquote fresh. Mm-hmm. But no, I haven't. I haven't kept anything around long enough before they enter that expired phase. And I think you know, if, you're, if they're stored under the right condition, they're a couple of years bad. Then you're really not going to have to sweat it at all. Uh, the, the, the few amounts of film that are within a decade old that I've shot a decade with a, of expiration, I've had zero issues with. Right. So I, it's almost it's almost pointless to shoot barely expired film unless unless uh, you, like just because it's it's just there's just no difference I think So it's not pointless but it's, it's pointless to consider it as expired film I should say
0: right right uh, so so for people that that haven't shot like myself I don't think I've shot expired film or if I had well I suppose I've shot expired peel apart Polaroids but yeah ex- I- ignoring my complete lack of success with Peel Apart Polaroids. Um, for the people that don't know, what are the positives and negatives, no pun intended, of <laughs> of photographing with expired film?
1: I'd say a big positive is if you're patient and you're working hard enough, you will get a you can get some pretty good deals. Uh, you can save... At le- you can at least save 50%. If not, like, you know, let's say Portra right now. If you buy Portra, excluding development, you're paying... At least ten bucks a roll. and that's and that alone would be probably a good deal for for most folks. right. but if you, if you if you can manage to be patient and find a good enough deal, then you're talking only a couple bucks a roll of of some of these expired films. And I think for a lot of folks, that's just sort of ah. risk that's almost worth it in the end, because that is such a huge amount of savings that you that you get there. All the better if you can uh, develop film on your own. Uh, because you know that's just another way of cutting out any potential costs to what is already an expensive hobby
0: but in terms of use
1: usage yeah to the costs uh, yeah
0: I just feel like in terms of usage there's yeah. there's plenty of positives to using film and there's plenty of negatives you know obviously cost per shot compared to digital is much higher i've seen people try and finagle these these things by saying well a digital camera costs more it's like yeah but that's a one-off cost. And it's hard to argue that a digital camera costs more when, you know, like already mentioned, an RB6-7 in England at the moment is about two grand. Dang. Yeah, so it's not. It's not. And bear in mind, that's pounds. So the conversion doesn't make that good at all. Yeah. There's plenty of positive reasons in terms of the end product. There's plenty of negative reasons, one being potentially the cost. But with expired film, with what you get as the end result or within the use of it, like the actual, when you're out and about shooting with it, what are the positives and negatives?
1: That's a good question. Positives would certainly be that you're going to have unique results. I think it's important. I should stress this as I think it is uh, to try and buy things and kind of like you know, be more organized when you shoot expired film. That is if you, for the most part, let's say you buy like 10 rolls of gold 200 off of eBay. Well, more than likely, not certain, but likely, all these rolls will be in similar, uh, have a similar amount of degradation and just storage conditions. So, if you can, you know, have a way of knowing, all right, I shot a roll from this batch of TED rolls and that roll came out, uh, uh, you know, maybe the, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, you know, you, the goal isn't to have it look identical to a fresh roll of gold. Well, let's just say it came out satisfactory, then you're gonna know for sure, all right, I got nine more rolls of this stuff left. Uh, and I'll I, I have some expectation of the results, and that doesn't really impact, I guess, the what you're the, what you're asking though. The positive of shooting with it—that is a tough question. I think it just comes down to uh, just results being different than what you might see from other folks using shooting portrait, straight portrait. I guess that's my way of just not trying to get into this rut of shooting the same, you know, portrait 400 over and over again.
0: Also. Well, that's 100% a problem. I see a lot with with obviously doing a podcast. I'm exposed to talking to a lot of photographers from different backgrounds, different genres, shooting in different mediums and so on. And something that I do encounter an awful lot, especially with, with people who's... It's kind of a strange one. Um, it reminds me, I remember my auntie uh, worked at a school and they asked for... Um, trying to get this right they asked her for yeah they asked her. they used to ask what your your race was and one of the students wrote jewish and at the time this is going back quite a distance like jewish that's a religion it's not a race and it, it caused a bit of confusion and i feel like there's a similar thing with Photographers that are film photographers. Like, I don't think of myself as a digital photographer or a film photographer. I think of myself as a, a wedding and portrait photographer because that's the subjects that I shoot. And I think mm-hmm. people that define themselves by being a film photographer tend to fall into that category that you're kind of talking about there, where they shoot, you know, Portrait 400, um, which I have to say, Portrait 400 is the absolute most idiot proof film going. Like, you really can't get it that wrong.
1: There's a reason why it's popular, and yeah. I, I I personally love it, but it's it's, it's hard to come by pretty <laughs> nowadays, and it's just only getting more expensive.
0: Yeah, I mean the the pricing side of things is getting a little bit ridiculous. Um, but for for people that haven't shot film, everyone has a different reason for for going to that medium. Some people I've spoken to have said that it kind of irks back to. Like, you know, it's a nostalgic feeling. It slows them down. They like the older cameras more. They don't like the look of digital. For me personally, I absolutely, I I can't stand the trend of retouching that's going on with digital people photography. Like we're just, we're alienating like what an image is from what we're seeing to such a degree that I don't find it enjoyable to look through a lot of modern portrait photographers or wedding photographers work because it's so manipulated to a point of not being realistic. Whereas film Absolutely. kind of sticks a knife in the ground and says, like, you know, we're going to be honest about this and this is what things look like. And we're almost at a point now where showing someone the way they actually look is markedly improved because of how bad retouching has become. And retouching I feel is a bit like like alcohol. You really shouldn't do it on your own or you probably have a problem <laughs> with it. With, with regards to like photography, so if we take the film side of things out of it, what, what do you enjoy about photography?
1: What I enjoy about photography as a viewer or as a person who takes photos? As a photographer. As a photographer, for me, I think it is just the ability to convey the emotions of a scene. And maybe someone doesn't have to have the same emotions as you when they see the image, but to just have just that uh, kind of just have a way to to express yourself. And and it's only that, but I've heard it, it was quote from somebody, but basically, um, you know, photography does what words can't do, I guess. Right. If that makes sense. It's a way of expressing myself without words. And I think a lot of people feel that way because for me, it's a question that would always be very tough for me to answer. But for me, it's just the ultimate way of expressing myself. I feel very comfortable with the images that I take and being able to show them
0: the people. Do you feel like with film one thing I've noticed yourself included in this and the desire, if I didn't live in a hellhole like Hampshire in England, I probably would be doing the same thing. I'd be very much anxious to do the same thing. There's a lot of desire to associate film photography with older architecture, older cars, the nostalgia side of, of film photography that you photograph subjects that were um, abundant back when film was much more popular. It does seem to be very much focused around a particular geographic area and a particular period of time. um Do you think that we're kind of missing an opportunity by not photographing the modern world as much in film because that could serve the longevity of film much better?
1: That's a very good question. And I think it also is something that I thought about is just. If I look back at the photos I've taken, you know, 10, 20 years from now, what am I going to think of them? Uh, you know, that's, I think that's the reason why it's a, such a popular subject, this Americana or classic cars, is that when you look at some of the more famous photographers of the mid to late 20th century, that that's the subject of images. And, that's, and, and a lot of people enjoy these images for that reason. Uh, if, if that would makes if that makes sense, it's just a matter of, I guess if you're taking photos of more contemporary subjects in my mind, I would, I would think this, this image would be something that I would want to be still interesting in, interesting in the, in the present and interesting 20 years from now. Yeah. And, and I think there, I think there is a, definite, a definitely a way that people could use photography, film photography, with uh, contemporary subjects. For me, I, th- I think, for example, and it's something I haven't touched on or with my photography, is just this whole ongoing COVID, corona. Someday, I think a lot of images people could be taking or are taking would be all the more interesting 20 years from now when you look back at this whole period of time.
0: Well, I definitely think that people are going to be missing a trick if they're not photographing things in a non manipulated way now because distrust of the media has never been higher people's distrust of pretty much any opinion that's not their own seems to be higher than ever and the fact that everyone's walking around with a digital camera in their pocket and you know you can people think that sort of editing um uh, something is down to like put it in your computer and start playing with sliders or start rubbing stuff out or start pasting stuff in Editing can come down right at the point of shooting, where you're deciding what to and not to frame, what to leave out of a scene, and what to include. That's that's a significant part of the editing process. And I feel like film, there is so much more um, subconscious integrity to it. I think people naturally accept film photography as being much more honest because of the nature of it, the fact that it's it's tangible. You know, there's there's a physical thing that you can show people that's like that's what was there when i photographed it that's that's maybe at a time like this is much more useful than it's being given credit for i'd like to see more people i think during the the black lives matter uprising last year we saw a lot of people photographing with film we see people uh when there's natural disasters photographing with film
1: yeah that's been a big that's been a big thing of mine lately so i kind of live and what I would argue is, well, a lot of people are calling it in this area like the uh, front, front road to the apocalypse, but pretty much is the uh, epicenter of just the ongoing climate crisis, so right.
0: to speak. And just as a, as a way to kind of photograph that in a non... I guess it's non-negotiable. Like that's what was there. That's what I photographed. It's not like... When I I look at something, when I, you know, look at all movies now, look at all media that's being put out. It's all green screen shit that like, uh, I I don't, I don't believe people are, I don't really like people, but I don't believe people are as stupid as what I think a lot of Hollywood would have them believe they are when it comes to how obvious things are green screened, how badly edited things are now, how cartoonish a lot of things look that I feel like by doing something like photographing with film in this day and age, you're going to stand out more. And that integrity is going to be maybe not consciously observed, but it's going to sit with people that it's more of a realistic product or end product, not product in terms of capitalism, but end product as in what you produce, but purely because people are aware that film is a lot harder to manipulate, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I've never really drawn this connection between film and manipulation of images, especially in uh, mass media and social media, especially. But it is all really good points that you bring up. Uh, if I were to just add anything to it, I think I think it is also important just through this process is learning how much in the past was manipulated through darkroom processes. And, you know, trying to think what the process is called, but where you essentially use paint on a lot of these prints, especially if you look at photos of like, you know, from the golden age of Hollywood, you'll see a lot of the portraits uh, a lot of these actors, actresses, you know, their, their, their skin is just as smooth as silk, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. so I, I th- so it's something that almost, I wouldn't say, uh, I don't think it's like anything contrary to what you think, but just kind of an awareness of just in the past, how easy it is to, was to manipulate as well in both, in both uh, like ph- photography as a form of, of a, you know, masking media product. In, and also in uh, like news and journalism as a just if you look at some of the most famous images of the 20th century, and I, mean, I study history, a lot of these images you see over and over again, but a lot of them are yeah indeed manipulated.
0: So speaking of mass media, the way I found you was through YouTube, and YouTube has become this absolute behemoth of, of entertainment. It's really funny now watching. Uh, I don't know the, uh, I guess it would be network TV. I don't know what the Americanism is for it, but I would say terrestrial TV where they talk about something that's been seen on YouTube. And it's like, it's like having a husband complimenting his wife's new lover. It's like a really bizarre situation where TV's almost pointing out that most people aren't watching TV. They're watching YouTube. YouTube's become so huge. You know, streaming services have become so huge and so on. Um, it's great because it democratizes yeah. it and it means that people like me in Hampshire in England can find people like you all the way over there in America. So why did you want to start YouTube in the first place?
1: I think for me, it came out of the deep depths of the first lockdown in the last year. Uh, you know, I was kind of everyone was obviously not in the best of the mood. And for me, I thought, okay, I have all this expired film I've been shooting. So pretty much also, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not very savvy for anything videography related or anything involving editing videos. But I think think in a way it's a nice guide for people who might be finding the same film stock to just see what they could expect with their results, worst or best case scenario or somewhere in the middle. Because I think I found myself quite often if I'm buying a new camera, a new lens, a new film stock, I'm gonna spend a good amount of time looking up online just the results people are getting. So this is just another option for people who might come across an old roll Kodak gold or an old roll back to Chrome just to see what they expect.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I guess obviously it's yes, you started, an- for me, it. It's you another started it bang in the middle of a pandemic. So that's, that's a good time. I mean, like there's no, it's not a, not a good time in terms of what everyone was going through, but it's a good time because it gives you something to focus on. It gives people something to watch. And also there's a lot more people paying attention. So certainly, so it's, it's pretty much an optimum time. Do you think that had it not been for the, the pandemic it was something you were still going to do at some point
1: probably i probably would have yeah because i'd already had most of the film where i got a lot of my film early on was actually in berlin uh, safe Light berlin is a uh, major uh, film photography shop in, in the city there they're great it's great store and i really like the people who uh work and run the place and in any case you'd always have like a ridiculous amount of expired films. a uh, all these crazy film stocks uh, that I never heard of, or just were only you know sold in Europe, and I think they sold them for about five euros a roll, which, which isn't that it, that's pretty reasonable at this point, especially since most of these rolls, I don't think I had as a single roll from this shop that turned out bad, pretty much. So I just had all these cr- crazy rolls. I just bought a whole plethora of it, and so I already had kind of the groundwork there. I had the film, and so the easy part was shooting. And, and I should add. I forgot to mention it earlier, but another reason I like expired film, the shooting process of it, is it kind of acts as a B-roll in a way for me, especially if you have either a modular camera or if you have multiple cameras. Let's say I'm shooting, I'm shooting somewhere if I'm hiking. Well, I'll, i I would shoot with a fresh stock, you know, something that I really don't want to mess up. And then, and then there'll be obviously dozens of other opportunities along the way where I might see something that I'm not quite certain sure. will turn out well. I don't want to waste the opportunity and I'll shoot that with expired film.
0: You see I I would feel like it was going to be the other way around though because I would this is obviously ignorance on my part but I would feel like you would be more precious over the expired film and you you'd almost be saving that for the best possible photos. The way you're describing it is kind of the complete inverse of that which is that's really interesting because I would I've I've got like I said I've got a couple boxes of Pro 400H. I've got a, an absolute ton of Cinesteel, which I'm now worried about checking the expiry date on after what you said, because I've never really paid attention to that. And it's all in mind for specific projects where I'm very, very like, c- committed to it being used for an exact application as opposed to just like, ah, sod it, let's stick this in the camera this time. Whereas like, what you're saying is like the opposite. If it was something that was like so hard to find or maybe you'd never see again, I'd be terrified to use it for the wrong thing. So that's really interesting. It's a much different mindset.
1: I think for those type of film stocks, I would be more hesitant to use it for that, though. But like, you know, for the most part, you know, you're going to find a lot of the, a lot of the more. Uh, I wouldn't say consumer films, but you know, the ones that you can find, but find at drugstore, you're going to find a lot more Kodak Gold and you know Fuji Superior. Uh, Superior, I don't know what I'm And then you know, just stocks like that, which mm-hmm. are still being sold. Um you're gonna find a lot more of those. And those are the ones I really just go crazy with, you know, shooting anything and everything on the side. Uh, but if there's a stock, yeah, that I only have one of, then I'm definitely gonna put it to better use than that. Uh, I know we cut like a lot of the cameras that I've I've gone, most of them I've gotten locally. It's kind of just me wheeling and dealing, I guess, and slowly trading my way up to better cameras. And with that, you, you do come across a lot of old you know, Kodak gold and, and such. So I got like, I don't know how many, like probably 100, 100 rolls of that. And, right. and that, that I, that, that's how I would do it, uh, the style of shooting is with those rolls of film.
0: Well, Kodak gold is an interesting one because I really feel like Kodak should kind of figure it out that there's actually an opportunity to make some money at the moment. And if they made Kodak gold in 120 or Color yeah. Plus in 120, or Ultramax in 120. They would just have such an enormous market from it. They seem to be almost allergic to earning money at the moment, but that's beside the point. Um, so if I could ask your expert opinion here, if for those of us that have never shot uh, like a sort of more standard non-peel-apart expired film, what, ones mm-hmm. are, what, what films are more suited to being interesting or, or nice when they're expired?
1: Yeah, that's important to note, because I think if I wouldn't say expert by any means, but but yeah, trial and error, lots of trial and error. In my case, uh, black and white film is going to be your best, bet, hands down, black and white film, especially if you can develop uh, black and white film. Uh, I, I, I just started within the past year uh, developing black and white film, and it's been. It's, it's, you know, it's easy. Once you get the necessary equipment, it's not that difficult, but it's just ages better. You don't have to deal with color shifts and even increased grain. Really, sometimes it adds more to the images than, the, than fine, fine grain film. Right. So black and white. I think you find it pretty plentiful, too. I mean, you, you'll find and then you'll find all of all sorts plentiful, but black and white, especially, I think. You're gonna find a lot more of it. Uh, I think the second most preferable would be Colored negative C41. And they do say the higher ISO films, they don't age as well. That's definitely the case. So if you find a, let's say, expired um, Verichrome, I'm trying to think that, or Verichrome Black White, uh, what's the color? What's Fair Color? Fair Color. That's like 125 ISO. Well, that's gonna probably age a lot better than something that's like 800 ISO. Right. So, so that, so, you know, low ISO, lower ISO, colored negative film, uh, you'll find most often, more often than not decent results with that. And then for me personally, I've had shit luck with old slide film, especially like Ektachrome 264. Um, I bought quite a bit of that cause that's also plentiful. And oh my gosh, like these photos, you can try everything in the book and they're just not salvageable a lot of times <laughs> the, the, um, transparencies they're just unbelievably fogged and really thin so like they're barely so they're very faint images and you can't do much to really to bring these faint images back and then sometimes you just get these absolutely uh, atrocious color like uh magenta color casts that also just there's no there's no ability to recover from from this strong color shift so I would, I just stay away from expired uh, slide film at this point. I don't even bother anymore because I've had so much bad experience. with it.
0: <laughs> well, let's say right now I hold the ability to not only circumvent horrendous travel restrictions that are currently in place and all of the, the fear of actually moving around things like that. Let's say I yeah. have the ability right now to pick you up where you, where you are and drop you anywhere in the world and you get one roll of film, where would you want to be dropped and what roll of film would you want?
1: Dang, that ain't the question. Okay, uh, I, would, <laughs> I would honestly say somewhere within the continental U.S. because I still feel like there's a lot to see here. Um, no, actually, I'm going to change it. I'd be dropped in the Dolomites in Italy. Right. The, I, those look it looks amazing, especially um, since I'm a huge history buff. There's an area in the Dolomites where there was a, where there was a, you know, battlefield in World War I. So it's this mixture of history and landscape that is just remarkable. You have trenches and barbed wire uh, on the face of a, you know, 200 meter cliff. Yeah. And my film stock would be right now. Oh, I'd say portrait. I like XR a lot right now, though, too. The portrait, because, because if you're shooting like a, let's say, a, that's a tough question. Yeah. Oh, I'd say portrait. Screw it. <laughs> cause, cause I'm still, cause it's idiot proof and I'm still an idiot, especially when you're talking like <laughs> sunset image and you have this, and you do have this crazy dynamic range. And you really have to be intentional with your exposures to try and, you know, find uh, the proper exposure.
0: Well, it's it's uh, a Portra is a, is a good safe answer. It's um, you're not going to get. I a think ba- 160. For I'll sure. say 160
1: though. Actually, 160 is all is the little the little brother that sometimes gets forgotten. But right. I did a, a big trip to the Southwest. Not a big trip, but a little trip to the Southwest, uh, like Zion National Park and stuff last year. All I had with me was um, Portra 160, and you know couldn't have asked for better better uh, images in my mind. I was really happy for what I was, what I got.
0: Have you ever actually like significantly hated a film stock?
1: I used to hate Ektar because I probably wasn't exposing it properly. It, or, or just sometimes, you know, Ektar is a little more forgiving than, in other conditions. Or let's say I, like for some reason, if I shoot Ektar at night, I'm not always going to be happy with the results because, because the blacks are just a little bit blacker. Uh, you get a little less shadow detail than Portra. But if I'm shooting in broad daylight of a landscape, then really, Ektar is hard to beat. Right. Or or sunset, or sunset, yeah.
0: It's something I, the first roll of Ektar I ever used, I photographed an incredibly ginger, freckled man. And it honestly looked like I was making fun of them. They made them kind of... It made them look like a, a racist cartoon of an Irishman from the 1920s. It was not. It was not a good look at all. But if you're not including yeah. people, it can look fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's tricky. I'm sure with Ektar and, and taking portraits, I've, I've heard it does handles you know, skin tones pretty well. But gosh, well, I was I was
0: told by um, by uh, previous podcast guest that Ektar is actually fantastic for darker skin tones. Mm-hmm. Because the the saturation actually suits the, the sort of the luminosity mix, which is interesting. I haven't had the chance to try it yet, but I have to do that very soon. A massive thank you for you taking the time to do this. Seriously, it's um I'm always blown away by the fact that people are willing to give up their time to talk to some some fat loser oh, in the good. middle of in the middle of a crappy little island in the middle of the Atlantic. But um it's very kind of you. Uh but the most important thing, the whole sort of reason for the podcast is that I just force people to like stuff that I like. So um we need to tell people where they can go uh, to see your YouTube stuff and to find you on Instagram. And we need to encourage you to hurry up and get a website going with some prints for sale. So people like me can buy some prints. So where can people go to find you?
1: So on YouTube, my YouTube channel is called expired Bren. My name is Brendan. So Bren's a little easier, especially since there's like 80 variations of Bren- Brendan, Brandon's I think in the UK, that's more the case in here. Anyhow, Expired friend for YouTube and Instagram, also at expired friend.
0: My massive thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate yeah. it.
1: Oh, of course, it's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. I uh, you got me thinking about a lot of stuff, uh, just <laughs> a lot of interesting points, especially about this, uh, you know, photo manipulation. I, I really, I find that point especially uh, relevant. I mean, it's (laughs) literally literally
0: the reason I picked up film last year. So in the middle of lockdown, I was like, I need to learn to develop film because it's one of those things that's always bugged me that I've never done. And having started doing it, the first thing that jumped out of me was that it it obviously streamlines your, your process quite significantly compared to digital where you're doing a lot of manipulation in Photoshop. A lot of, a lot of the, um, it's a lot of icing and not much cake, if that makes sense. Whereas with, uh, with film photography I could kind of force a line to be drawn and that was the state of the work and then I knew that it was it was something that was ringing true with me in a way that I was happy with it it was meaning something to me because I instantly wanted to change my digital work to a more film-like process in the sense of wanting it to be like the retouchings reigned way back the the um the consistency is done in a slightly different way in terms of like how you're treating raw files. So I I think it's maybe, maybe I'm just the right kind of stupid. I figured this out and it worked for me, but I think it's a really overlooked quality of film photography is that there there is a built in subconscious honesty to it, to people that don't know about photography.
1: Absolutely. I I think also it's it's a sub, interesting perspective, those who might not be so familiar with photography, but just like, it's almost like a pushback in a way of just, especially uh, Instagram the forms of social media as such, even though uh, film photography also is a huge uh, Instagram plays a huge, huge role in film photography. Hmm. All the while, it's just these filters and uh, that, you know, people use on a constant basis. And a lot of these fil- filters are in a way, try to mimic, you know, what would be film photography. I think that's also something I thought about is just why I like square format. Well, when I first really enjoyed taking photos with my iPhone, you know, gosh, 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago, Instagram was only square photos. (laughs) So maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why I kind of (laughs) liked sticking around to six by six is because Instagram used to be also, uh, you know, square format.
0: Well, on the subject of you saying that a lot of it's kind of mimicry of, of, the way film looks, the filters that people are adding. The fact is, to today, I don't know of anyone that's trying to make film look like digital, but I know plenty of people that are trying to make digital look like film, including myself. So I think that answers the question on which one wins. It's just a matter of getting people to buy into the process and then maybe we can rejuvenate it more than it currently is.
1: Well, shoot! That's uh, that's a good way of putting it. That's a that's a com- uh, argument stopper there in my mind. It's, <laughs> it's very true. I don't think I think especially for like landscape photography. I used to really enjoy these very saturated HDR landscape photos that people would take digitally, but it's just I don't know. Since I've started shooting film, and especially the work that other people do in landscape photography, and also with uh, a lot of people who shoot like large format uh you know color slide film well gosh it's just i for me that's just so much more enjoyable to see these type of landscapes than what you see these hdr panoramas rainbows and right. lightning i don't know it's just a little more subtle uh, yeah
0: yeah a little bit more honesty
1: but, but no one's so no one's trying to you know no one on shooting film is trying to really mimic this this uh look essentially what i mean to say for landscape
0: yeah it's it's a it's a strange one i feel like me and you are going to have another podcast again soon and we'll be able to go much more into detail on some of this stuff which will be a lot of fun um again again man thank you so much for taking the time
1: thank you chris i had a great time absolutely i love talking this stuff so (laughs) anytime